Welcome back to School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, and this week, no Calvin, but we do have two other special guests. Of course, Jeff was on the podcast very recently. He joins us again. How are you doing today, Jeff? Not bad at all in tropical UK here. 19 <laughs> yeah. degrees. <laughs> well, over here, actually, in America on the East Coast, it's actually not too bad of a day today. We got like, I think it's like 64 degrees Fahrenheit over here, so it's pretty warm and, uh, you know, I'm guessing that's, uh, it's pretty, it's 19 degrees. Is that pretty warm for you over there too, Jeff? It's very humid here today, yeah. actually. Yeah, it's a bit like uh, the Florida humidity that you guys. <laughs> well, that's, a, I guess, a little unfortunate for you there. Um, and then the other um, person we're bringing in today, the other uh, RBM contributor, is Brian Foley. Brian, how are you doing today? Hey, doing well. Thanks, Gina. How are you doing? Uh, doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Um, you know, can't complain. Everton get a win on the weekend, so that's always a good uh, a good thing. Um, but we have to talk about first the bad before we get to the good, and we have to talk about um, the Burnley match that happened midweek, not this past week. We're recording uh, Friday, April fifteenth, um, but um, the week before that, when we played Burnley and we lost three to two. Um, goals by uh, Nathan Collins, Jay Rodriguez, and Maxwell Cornet uh, for Burnley in that one. Richarlison, the two penalties. Um, let's start here with the lineup. Obviously, there was a couple, you know, there's, there's, there's issues with red cards and injuries. And so um, I think illnesses as well. So, you know, Seamus Coleman was on the bench for this one. Uh, John Joe Kenny on the right side, Ben Godfrey and Jared Branthwaite in the middle after Michael Keane's red card. Um, uh, the game prior, then Michael Lanko on the left. Uh, in the middle of the pitch, you had Awobi, Holgate, and Ducore. Again, Allen was still out at this point. It was still out uh, with his red card at this point, so he could not play. Um, and then Donnie Van de Beek picked up a injury in um warm-ups so he was unavailable to play so we went with the mid three of Awobi Holgate uh, and Ducore and then up top it was Richarlison, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Anthony Gordon which ended up being like a 4-3-3 um against Burnley's 4-4-2 uh Jeff we'll start with you your thoughts on the lineup um, I, I thought the, the back four smacked of uh, inexperience. I, I'm a huge uh, Jared Branthwaite um, fan. I think he'll be a, a fantastic player for us in the longer term. Um, but the, I, I think at times during the game, that inexperience uh, between Godfrey and Branthwaite showed. And I, I think I'm, I'm not saying any, I'm not blaming Branthwaite individually for uh, any of the goals. Goals, but uh, I think collectively they could all have done better. Um, but it's it's a team game, and I think when you look at that lineup, um, the the midfield's a bit horrible, really, in in terms of um, you know Mason Holgate can fill a hole in the centre of midfield, but it's not his natural position, and and it, and it does show. You know, I think he got caught several times, he several loose balls. It was a bit of a an ugly performance by us, I think. And um, you know, when you look at that lineup, um, I'm not really surprised though that front three should be able to uh, create a lot more than perhaps it did. Yeah, I, I think you know, um, 
that's kind of been, a, and, and Dominic Carvalhoon, I guess, is the guy you point out at the top there who's been maybe producing less than obviously we would hope he would and, and, and he did at the beginning of the season. Um, Brian, your thoughts on, on the lineup in this one? Um, yeah, I, uh, I agree with Jeff on the, uh, the assessment of Branthwaite. I'm also a big supporter. One of my biggest regrets of this season is we haven't created the moments and the opportunities to, uh, to kind of bed him in, in a better situation. Every time he's called up, it's always in a, uh, a incredibly needs based situation. And all of a sudden it's, he's under pressure, you know, the initial Chelsea game, it turned out great. You know, and he and uh, I think Jeff and I both see that kind of performance. You know, developing that consistency, um, but it's hard, at, especially at the center back position. You know, between the obvious, just tactical, not a uh, a big spot where you're going to be substituting. We don't get him on the field a lot. So uh, that being said, it, it really felt like Godfrey probably ended up wearing the uh, the, the the biggest uh, dunce cap kind of from the end of that game. That's not to pick on him. Um, it, though you know he's been kind of here and there in performances but uh you know there's actually a stat where I believe um like him Michael Keane and Seamus Coleman are the only players who have directly led to uh to uh to other teams goals uh based on individual errors and there's only like four players in the league and we have three of them um and, and it kind of speaks volumes on just the individual mistakes uh that continue to haunt us and, and in those in and the worst part is it was a situation where you get, you get two penalties and you make them. So in, this, in the dire need situation we were points-wise, they're the kind of things that really, that really hurt us, you know. And, um, you know, we're reflecting, obviously, after a win now. Um, but <laughs> those days between Burnley and Man U were, were, were pretty rough uh, as far as really having any kind of feeling that we were going to get back on track. Um, and uh, the midfield was obviously, to me, the, the biggest gaping hole. And it's just, it, it speaks volumes to, to a lot of things. Um, you know, the, the inability for players to recover. Andre Gomes is a shell of himself. You know, he really can't play except in very spot situations when we have a lot of possession against a uh, maybe a championship team in the, in the, uh, the cup or something. He's great to unlock those doors and things like that, but he's really just not the player. Um, and and so all of a sudden you're moving Mason Holgate into the middle of the field. And obviously it's a, it's a, a, a kind of a freak pregame injury, but it, when you don't have a mid, that's just not a midfield. I mean that's just really not you know at the at the at the Premier League level. That's not a that's not a that's not something that Everton should be should be rolling out. You know we should have at least some kind of cover there. And, uh, and that's what really ends up exposing us. We get stretched too easily. Um, you know, Mason Holgate, again, not a big fan of him, but to, you know, to, to also say that you get called into play in the middle of a premier league game, um, you know, before warmups out of position, that's a tough spot to be in. But, um, but you, you saw Burnley side that, uh, that had some fight in them, which will obviously get to the other news about Burnley at some point, I suppose, but, um, you know, you walked away from that game. I would have given you uh, an arm and a leg to have Sean Dyche in our locker room, given the next speech. Uh, and that's, you know, that's not to cast judgment on, on Lampard, but, but Dyche has proven himself in this situation that it really felt like at least after that game, we were, we were in for a battle. I wasn't sure we had the, uh, the, uh, the heart for, but you know, 
then a few days later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But of course, we got to continue through this Burnley, um, this Burnley match, and and yeah, it, the midfield. You know, it's not. It's you know, when you're playing a four three three, those are not exactly the three guys you think should be in a midfield together uh, to give you the most uh, or the best chance to win a match. And again, that Donny Van de Beek injury really did kill us there. I think that was a huge factor because things could have been significantly different then. Obviously, being able to have his creativity in that midfield uh, would have been, you know, would have been key. And um, so the midfield definitely did not perform, um, you know, terrifically well. But again, you get to the first goal, and, and we talked about this on the podcast before the match. The big thing you had to worry about was set pieces. That's where Burnley capitalizes on all their miss, on all their, you know, goals, all their takes advantage against their opponents, set pieces. And the first goal, what happens? It's a set piece goal that gets over everybody. And there's a guy at the back post just waiting for the ball and he taps it in. And it's one nothing Burnley after 12 minutes, you know, 12 minutes that they also had a fair share of chances on. Um, your thoughts, and Brian, we'll go right back to you on that set piece goal. Um, anything Everton could have done? I mean, you know, it just seemed like it could have been avoided, but, um, you know, any of your thoughts? I mean, the first thing for me is just the inexperience to foul in the first place and create the set piece, um, which we're so prone, you know, we're so easily baited into, uh, into the hard charging foul where, you know, we still get the kind of the clap, but also at the same time, you kind of crack your neck thinking, well, who's going to defend in the center. And uh, Jeff talked about it earlier when you have an inexperienced team and um, against a team designed for set pieces, (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, and uh, it it just, it it was, it, it was just very predictable. You know, when they lined up, you had just had that, those kind of that, that feeling in your gut of man, ugh. Just the, the matchups aren't there. Um, the to me, somebody like Yerry Mina is not there. Um, just with the the attitude and the presence, um, you know, imperfect as he may be in those situations, he's somebody that we really want there. He's somebody that I think that we all hoped that Michael Keane would kind of develop that presence in that same way, you know, to make up for the lack of foot speed and those kind of things. Um, but also, um, yeah, so as far as the set piece goes, yeah, just very predictable. Jeff, how about you, your thoughts? Well, it's the sort of thing, sadly, you can say that you can see coming these days because uh, I think uh, we're poor at um, – we haven't got many great headers of the ball when you take the likes of Mina out, um, who, who will just simply get in the way and block runs and do all the – um, all the dirty stuff to to stop the opposition uh, scoring. Uh, we don't seem to have that guile or more intellect to to actually do that. You, you look at that that particular goal uh, as an instance. And um, it, sorry to pick on Awobi because Awobi's been playing well just of late. But you know uh, he, he's not great in the air. Yet you've got him marking one of the centre backs. He loses him. He loses him way too easy. The guy didn't exactly, um, you know, he's not the master of deception or anything. The guy that um, tried to get past him or or that, Iwobi simply let him go, didn't track him. But I wouldn't expect Iwobi to 
particularly be strong at marking in, in, in the box. So why have him there? You know, why not have someone else detailed to do that kind of job? But but it might have been on the night. Um, we, we didn't really have the personnel to, to do that. I, I don't know. You, you look at the team and, you know, um, you, you've got the likes of Godfrey, Branthwaite. Uh, you've got Awobi, who's about 5'11". You've got Takura, who's about six foot. You've got uh, Calvert-Lewin, who's 6'2", or something like that. You, you shouldn't be really exposed as badly in the air as Everson gets. And, and and yet they do regularly. And uh, I know uh, Paul Clement, I, I think, has been recently speaking of uh, Frank Lampard having detailed him to uh, sort some of the set pieces out, both defensively and offensively. I'd have to say you've yet to see it, really. Yeah, I mean, I think at the beginning when uh, Lampard came in, we had a few set piece goals, and we had, I think, kept a couple, you know, a game, a couple games where we didn't let up any set pieces. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I mean, it, it's been, I guess, it's been better. But being better than what it was is like not hard to do. The bar was set very low for them to get better than um, than they were. So. Um, I think, Gino, when, when you look back, uh, it's not too far in the past. But when Ancelotti first came in, uh, he, he effectively, I know uh, Duncan Ferguson had a few games, but he effectively replaced Marco Silva. And Marco yeah. Silva's uh, team conceded every, every goal was virtually a set piece of the corner. Uh-huh. It, it, was, it was as bad as it is now, uh, then. Uh, and yet Ancelotti seemed to fix it. Uh, and, yeah, and you've just got to question yourself. Whilst you know some of the coaching staff have moved on, you would think you know you would look back at that and see, well, what are we doing differently? It's not rocket science. Yeah, no, you're you're right. I mean, you would think they would look back and see, hey, like you know, at least the players, you know, I mean, they 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 went through this, and again, it's all based on system and whatnot. But um, you would think that there would be. You know, some look back at what they were doing right and 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 try and figure that out because it is largely the same cast of players. Um, so, um, you know, it is it is weird. And and again, having the the back line, and we talked about this a little bit. The back line in this Burnley match were extremely young. You have a you know very young Jared Branthwaite, a very young Ben Godfrey, a very young Michael Lanko, a very young John Joe Kenny, and John Joe Kenny, I think, the most senior out of all of them. Um, so, you know, obviously that you know, not working together too much. And I think I've seen that we've had just, I, I think a, almost every game we have a different backline setup and a different backline, uh, you know, uh, group. So it's hard to get any rhythm with that because whether it be injuries or whether it be, you know, one player not playing well or a red card, it's like there's no consistency. Um, so you know, and especially for backline, that's really important, especially on these set pieces, that's really important. So, um, you know, that's obviously been difficult. But again, it's, you know, it was almost like we saw it coming before it actually happened. You know, every, you know, we talked about it and we said that's the one thing we couldn't do. And 12 minutes in what happens, we, we give up a goal on, uh, <laughs> on, a, on, a, on a set piece. So, um, but we move on and a few minutes later, Richarlison gets the penalty or uh, scores the penalty. Anthony Gordon gets a penalty or gets the, or earns the penalty. Um, and we tie the game up at one. And then again, it's 30 minutes later. I think it is another penalty. This one overturned 
due to VAR was originally not called a penalty and then was called a penalty. Um, and Richarlison scores again. Um, and you're up 2-1. And you're up 2-1 going in the half. And things are looking good. And you come out of the half, and things looked good. Everton had a couple of chances. Um, and it looked like we were moving in the right direction. Things were progressing nicely. But um, come the 55th minute, I think it was, or 56th minute, um, you know, a ball is played over into, uh, you know, ball, a ball is, excuse me, not played over into, but a ball is played down the left side. And all of a sudden, it's 2-2. Um, you know, I think it was Tarkowski put the ball in and then running through the middle, it's Jay Rodriguez and it's 2-2. Um, your guys' thoughts on, I guess, the ease of being able to pick out Jay Rodriguez when I'm watching the goal right now, there's six guys around there and Jay Rodriguez kind of just pounces right through the middle and, and gets the goal and, and seemingly it was just very easy for him to just kind of make that late run in there. And it's been something that we've had a problem with a lot of times with late runs, but Jeff, we'll go back to you, your thoughts on, on this goal. Uh, typically we've said it before, typically passive of the Everson defense, um, wait, waiting for things to happen rather than taking charge things that you don't see as often when you've got the likes of, uh, Yeri Mina for all of his faults, as, as Brian said earlier, uh, for, for all of the, the, the things that we, we can't count on, uh, you can count on him doing that. He, he would get in there and, and uh, clear those balls. Um, th- that's where I thought we sat too deep. When they reached the uh, byline um, on the two occasions for that and the third goal, uh, and this is where I, I have to say, I, I'm a huge Branthwaite fan, but he sat deep on the line and it, he almost blocked Pickford's view of, of the uh, goal, certainly for the third one. Uh, I can't remember quite uh, with, with the, the second one, but um, we, we were basically, if, they, if Burnley got down a flank, we weren't... Uh, having enough awareness uh, between the six yard and the 12 yard zone. We, we weren't attacking that area. We, we're just letting things happen. And that's, I think, largely down to inexperience, um, which w- w- was missing. You know, even uh, Keane, who was suspended for that game, has the, 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 the know-how to, to deal with those situations. I'm not saying, not saying he particularly would have dealt with it perfectly, but he, he certainly has the know-how, as does uh, Yeri Mina. So you, you're talking about vast experience there versus uh, Ben Godfrey and Jared uh, Branthwaite. And I, I think it let us down a bit on, on there. But you, you should never blame a goal on one or two people. I think collectively, uh, defensively, we were a bit poor on those two occasions. Brian, how about you? Your thoughts on on that second goal and just kind of the ease and, and even the third goal. Um, just your thoughts on Everton's kind of defensive performance after going up 2-1. Yeah, I think Jeff spoke um, pretty well to uh, to my feelings on the back line. You know, just dropping deep and getting a little too tight, not allowing Pickford to kind of claim this, that six-yard area and, and, and stop any crosses that, you know, that he uh, – short arms and all that he can get to. Um, but, uh, but I also, you don't have midfielders tracking like Allen or a Don, even like a Donnie Van de Beek, um, you know, who are anticipating those runs a little earlier as well and would be there for cover. Um, and that, you know, you kind of miss along with 
missing original pressure on the ball, like you said, just receiving too easily and, and having the, the time to make decisions that, you know, you don't, you don't see as consistently, you know, might, might be one of our biggest things is how easily we allow people to turn in, uh, in between our lines and we don't close down. And that's where, to me, when Allen's on the field and when he's not on the field, you really see that, you know, he's um, just, he, he does a very good job of cutting those lanes, making those runs, turning over and, and, and just kind of making those a little more difficult. And then like you saw in these, uh, in the, uh, the second goal there, just the, um, the inability for anybody to get ball pressure and force him to make a decision. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's too direct and we can't give up direct goals, um, you know, and set piece goals. Those are the things you can't really make it hard for him at least. And we're, we're not doing that. So. Yeah. And, and just watching the third goal too, you know, you look at it and, and Godfrey failed clearance. First one to react is not Mason Holgate. It's the Burnley, um, the Burnley attacker. And then the ball is played right directly in the middle. And as you said, Jeff, you know, Branthway kind of in the way there, um, sitting deep, not really, you know, there's one, again, there's one guy in that middle of the box and there's, you know, a host of Everton defenders around him. Um, and he manages to find the, 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 the corner or find, find the back of the net. And uh, it's three to Everton. So, you know, it's, it's those things that, you know, have really haunted Everton all season and just, you know, not being the first to balls, not being the, the, you know, being able to jump on the mistakes of the other team and, really being the ones who have caused the mistakes. And as you said, Brian, at the beginning, Ben Godfrey and Everton hosted three Everton players. Um, uh, they're three of the four people whose individual mistakes have led to opposing teams' goals. So, you know, it, it's hard to avoid a relegation battle when you're making those kind of mistakes and you're, you're getting yourself into those types of positions. But um, Anything you guys want to touch on specifically? I mean, again, you know, Richardson had the two goals. Um, anybody who specifically to you and Brian, we'll go back to you for this. Anybody specifically for you who stood out in this match um, at all, really? I mean, I know it was a, it was a tough one to watch and, and say anything good about, but was there any, any good things that stuck out to you? I mean, to me, just in these kind of situations, you have to, do the little things and, or the big things, I suppose too, but Richarlison putting away two PKs, um, you know, when, when it put us up two to one, you really felt like, wow, that those could be two real big pressure situations that he, uh, that, you know, we had somebody step up and take ownership of and and deliver on back to back there, which is not uh, easy as well. Um, And uh, so for me, just taking that responsibility on his shoulders, um, you know, we just kind of spoke about Awobi's faults, and but again, I felt like he has put in a consistent shift, even in the Burnley game. It was whether it's error filled or not, you haven't seen him uh, slack slack off as much, I guess, uh, and and kind of drop down to that second gear that he just kind of cruises in at sometimes. Um, but otherwise, it just kind of felt like a everybody could have done a little bit more type of performance, you know, because the other thing is that we didn't score any goals from open play. So that's, that's never a great sign. So. 
Yeah, no, definitely not a good sign. Um, Jeff, how about you? Anything that stood out to you is, you know, on the positive side? <laughs> it, it was pretty dismal stuff, to be perfectly honest with you, but as you know, but um, I, I think uh, Gordon continued to try hard, as you would expect. Uh, it's been a breakthrough season for him. Um, and um, I, I think we've begun, you can say this with the benefits of hindsight now, uh, I think we we begun we begun to see uh, Mikalenko uh, becoming more of a player for us. Um, you know, he, he earned the penalty, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I think he's shown more ambition and uh, confidence. And, and let's face it, with uh, coaches in the shape of uh, Ashley Cole and Leighton Baines, uh, who who are masters in that position, you should be making improvements. Um, mm-hmm. So I think. As a small positive, I think we began to see the emergence of Mikolenko and uh, the, the the consistency of Gordon. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it definitely, uh, Mikolenko is definitely, and again, we'll talk about it even in the Manchester United game where he, again, took another step forward. Um, but definitely a, a player who's, um, you know, who's definitely stepped it up recently and, and started to show some of his improvements and, you know, it, the the one good thing that you could take out of all this is that some some of these young players are really showing themselves and showing the, the quality that they have in Anthony Gordon, of course, over the course of the season, um, and now Mike Alenko. So, um, you know, the, the hope is that, you know, again, things move in the right direction at some point, and then we avoid relegation, and these guys can continue to grow in the Premier League and um, maybe build a foundation here. Um, anything else you guys want to touch on in this game before we get to obviously the big Burnley news that could affect us? Um, yeah, so let's talk about it. Um, let's talk about the big Burnley news. So again, we'll talk about the Manchester United game more in depth, but after this match against Burnley, Everton go on and they beat Manchester United at home, um, at Goodison one nothing. And, um, the following day on Sunday, Norwich actually beat Burnley two nothing. So, um, you know, if you're a uh, you know if you're a realist, probably you were expecting us maybe to win the Burnley match and lose the Manchester United match, and Burnley to lose the match against us and then um, win the match against Norwich, which probably would I think leave us in about the same position anyway. Um, you know, so obviously I think the two more unexpected results happened this week rather, but we still find ourselves four points above the relegation zone and four points above Burnley. Um, through 30 games, and they're they're the only team other than Leicester and Arsenal, Leicester, Arsenal, and Chelsea who have played um, 30 or less games. Everybody else has played 31 or 32. Um, but after that, week goes on, and then today, earlier this morning, um, early morning UK time, uh, Sean Dyche gets the sack, and to the shock of everybody, uh, really to a surprise, especially in the middle of a relegation battle eight games from the end of the season. Um, he um, is, you know, is let go. And Burnley now are looking for a manager in the height of a relegation battle at the end of the season. Um, and that very much could affect us. Um, you know, it could mean, it could really go either way for Burnley. And whatever happens for Burnley could very well mean whether we get relegated or not. So will it be a new manager bump? Will it be a, you know, just an absolute disaster for Burnley? Um, Jeff, we'll start with you. Your thoughts on the Dice firing and what it could mean for Everton. I, I was surprised. Um, and um, when it 
came through my immediate thoughts, as probably a lot of people thought, were that this sounds like uh, Sam Allardyce has written all over it uh, to come in and, and do a rescue act for uh, Burnley uh, at the expense of his old club, Everson. Um, I'm not sure that will happen, actually. I, I haven't seen any very recent news on it. I was surprised because if you are looking at uh, someone who has experience of fighting relegation battles, then Dyche does. Um, he, he's got a very organised team. They're always hard to beat. I know they had a bad result against uh, against Norwich, but um, nevertheless, um, the, 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 they have some trademark uh, qualities. One of them being uh, that a fighting outfit. I, you know, I, I've seen reports that say that say that Dyche hadn't lost the dressing room. That that uh, players were still willing to play for him. I think the, the lack of quality in his squad has caused up in the end. The lack of investment, the lack of funds. It's a fairly small town, Burnley. That There's no great money there. Um, I think it's finally caught up with them. But actually to say, well, Sean Dyche uh, is not the man to try and keep them up, I'm very surprised there uh, because I, I would have... I think they'd have taken us all away now. Uh, I think anybody coming into that setup, even Sam Allardyce, who's got vast experience of things like that, I think they will struggle within the time frame that they've got to actually get uh, anything different done that Dyche wouldn't have done himself. So I, I, I was I was very surprised that the timing is awful. Had they done it, you know, in December, January, I can't remember where Burnley were then. I don't think they were very much higher. Then yeah. you know, perhaps, but but not now. A ridiculous decision, I think. Uh, Brian, how about you? Your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. Um, I think if you were to look for a um, manager to, like Jeff said, to get you out of relegation battle, um, the profile would be Sean Dyche to a T. I think... um, you know, somebody like Sam Allardyce comes in and it's a Burnley squad. I think that was in transition as well. I think Sean Dice was trying to do some different things to use the solid spine to get a little more creative outside, you know, bringing Cornets and outside back somebody you've been seeing getting forward and, and being more aggressive. Um, and so when they come in, I don't think you can take that same profile of him. And I, I just don't, I think I said it before, I view somebody like Sam Allardyce as a, a poor man, Sean Dyche, um, you know, with less tactical nuance. Um, you know, if, 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 if we're getting down to giving speeches, um, you know, what other organization within the, the structure of, you know, the 11 people on the field is, is somebody like Sam Allardyce going to bring? But to that effect, if you're going to look for a change in mindset, you don't really have time to do that either. They don't have the ability to bring in somebody and uh, say, all right, let's play a different style. I think they've got a lot of good still young pieces. You know, McNeil and those guys are, are, are good players. Um, and I, I just, I don't really understand it. I think it's, to me, it would have been like getting rid of, you know, kind of David Moyes in the the, run, the middle of his run, you know, that it would have been, he, he seems to have established something. And if it wouldn't have worked out this year, I think it largely would have been a testament to, the strength of the league, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, you know, we haven't talked about it because we haven't been running in, but, 
you know, you look at like a, a 11th place team, like, a, you know, Brighton, and that's a good solid team now to become an established squad. And, and that battle to stay in there is really, really difficult. Um, and I don't see their, I don't see their struggles as a result of poor man management or poor tactical decisions. I mean, we just discussed that they put three goals in on us and we got two PKs. Um, so it's not like they weren't handling their business somewhat on the field against the teams that they should be winning against. Obviously the Norwich game that happens, you're in a relegation fight. You're going to lose games on the road. Um, you know, you, if, if, if they were, yeah. So obviously by the position, it's hard to, to scream and shout too much, but you know, as an Everton fan, it gives you a little hope because it's something to, that changes a little bit. Um, and I was far more concerned about a Sean Dyche led team than I am going to be about a team that's going to be introduced to a new manager. There's no, there's no extended break coming up. There's no time for that kind of stuff. It's going to be, you know, two months of, of soccer and, and, and see what happens here. So. Yeah. And, and just to point out now, Burnley have won the least amount of games out of any team in the Premier League this season. They've only won four games. They're in the position they're in right now because of, you know, Sean Dyche ball and being able to hold on to draws, 0-0 draws, 1-1 draws. They have 12 draws over the course of the season. Um, meanwhile, Everton have won eight games, um, I don't, but only have four draws. They've lost 18 games this season. So that's where the, the differences are between the two teams. And, you know, before this, um, again, we talk about Sam Allardyce, more of a defensive-minded manager, I guess, pack the bu- or park the bus type of thing. You know, bef- other than us, um, bef- I, for the month prior, the last time they scored three goals was, was February 19th on, uh, against uh, Brighton, and that was on the road against Brighton. But other than that, they've scored two goals. In every in the other six matches, I think it is that Burnley had played before they played us. So um, it's definitely going to be a challenge because you know they really don't score a lot of goals as is right now. And as you said, Brian, Sean Dyche is more of a tactical manager, a guy who's going to go forward and get those goals. Um, if you bring in a guy like Sam Allardyce, that might not be the case. Now we don't know if that is going to be the case. Obviously, that's the assumption that Sam Allardyce will be brought in because he is the guy that seems to be always brought in in these situations. But it may even be too late for him because, you know, you look at us, you look at Norwich, you look at um, Newcastle. Newcastle under Eddie Howe, the first 10 matches were not good. I think they had one win in 10 matches. I'm not sure they had many draws. It took them a while to get going. Obviously, now they've picked it up, but they've had the time to put that together. We have clearly very much not been able to put that together yet, and it's been a, at least 10 games under Lampard, I'm sure more. Norwich have had more than 10 games, and they haven't been able to put anything together that has been you know, promising. And Dean Smith led a, an Aston Villa side um, that was promising last year as well. So um, it's not a given that, they're, that whoever comes in and manages this team is going to be able to implement the tactics that they think are going to work and get them to work. Um, again, you know, to win games, you have to score goals. And, um, you know, the good thing for Burnley is that their defense under Dyche was pretty steady. If that stays the same, that's obviously a good thing. But if it doesn't stay the same and things start changing and they start giving up more goals, um, them scoring goals is going to be, you know, the big issue. And they haven't proven other than against us and against 
Brighton really, those are like really the only two teams that they scored more than one goal against. So, um, you know, I would like to think that this is a positive, but every time I say that I think it's a positive, something's a positive, it always ends up being a negative for Everton. So, um, you know, I am cautiously optimistic about this for Everton. And, you know, just looking at the fact that, you know, we are four points above Burnley. So, you know, if they keep tying matches, because we don't play them again, if they keep tying matches and we lost, it would, you know, with eight matches left, they'd have to get four draws just to tie us. Um, and we're tied on goal differential as well. Um, so, you know, they're going to need to get some wins here. So if Everton can get some, get a couple wins here and there, obviously the name, the, the big ones are probably Crystal Palace, Watford and Brentford. Those are big matches. If they get wins in all three of those matches, I think Everton find themselves safe. Um, but we'll have to see with the, whatever the new hire ends up being for, for Burnley. Um, anything else you guys want to touch on before we move on to Manchester United? All right. Sounds good. Let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we will break down that win against Manchester United. All right, we're back and we're talking about Manchester United, the Manchester United match. Um, Everton returned to Goodison Park and they win 1-0. Anthony Gordon credited with the goal, obviously a massive deflection that ended up uh, with the, the ball in the back of the net. And then just a good defensive performance that, um, you know, ended up having us win this one. We'll start with the lineup. Much different, well, not much different, but at least half different back line. Again, a different back line than we have seen with Coleman, Keane back after the red card, and then Godfrey and Michael Anko finishing out that back line. Allen returned to the lineup. Um, Awobi stayed in that midfield and then Fabian Delph also returned after an extended period of time out with injury uh, to uh, wrap up that midfield and then Anthony Gordon, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison again those um, the, the top three there um, your guys thoughts on the lineup going into this one again of course Donny Van de Beek unavailable he's locked because of his parent club is Manchester United um, and then, you know, the, it just the changes, I guess, of Gray and, and Kenny come, or excuse me, Holgate and Kenny coming out and, um, you know, the other two going in. So your thoughts, uh, Jeff, we'll start with you. So firstly, I was overjoyed to see uh, Delph come in. Uh, overjoy and Delph in the same sentence has been rare to come by over the last couple of years um, because of his injury problems and various other things. But Actually, he, he has that steadiness and that inner confidence to, to be able to play that screening role really well. Um, I, I was a little surprised in terms of the lineup because it, it did appear to be a 4-1-4-1 formation, whereas I thought you would have a dual pivot of Alan and Delph. Um, Alan seemed to play a little bit further forward, more right of the pitch, and Iwobi was more central as we saw. Um, but but of a central midfield position, more of an attacking midfield uh, threat. It has a much better balance about it, um, and um, I, I must admit I, w- I was re- really pleased. I was pleased to see, and I know he's had his critics, and I know he hasn't had his best season, but I was, I was pleased to see Coleman come back in um, for his... Um, he keeps things steadier, I think. He's got that experience. Uh, Keane coming back in, 
he, he was very shaky to begin with, but um, he, 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 he did the business, I think. Um, but overall, I was really quite pleased when I saw the lineup. Brian, how about you? Your thoughts on the lineup? Yeah, um, I think the dropping of Gray is more of a testament to uh, the need to have Gordon on the field um, than it is necessarily Gray, who's not played well, playing. He's not necessarily played worse per se than anybody else that's been on there. You know, when when you have zero production, it's hard to to compare. You know, anything. It's really down to to the nuances. Um, I agreed having Delph in there, uh, despite being Fabian Delph, um, having him in there to um, just provide a little, just steady control of the ball. Um, we talked about it in Burnley. That wasn't a, um, that's not a Premier League level midfield. Um, Allen and Delph and Awobi, despite all their, their individual failings, form an actual Premier League midfield that can, you know, handle the, the necessary business over the, the course of 90 minutes. Um, I think the inclusion of um, uh, the, the continued inclusion of Michaliko is huge. Um, I, I, there's, you know, you'll, you'll see people say, well, he's not Luca Dean. Well, yeah, of course he's not a French international. Like what are we, what are we talking about here? We get it. We sold a very good player. We can't uh, continue to compare everybody. You know, it w- would certainly love to, to, to reach that standard. Um, but I think you've already seen a Mikolenko a little bit of a, uh, a, 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 not a little bit, you've seen that nastiness in defense, the willingness to, to do those little things, when to foul, where to foul. Um, you know, he, he tends to stay out of trouble as much as he is involved in the play. Um, he doesn't um, seem to get to draw attention to himself in a negative way, if you will. Um, and, uh, you know, you have to have Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin. I mean, uh, you know, it's hard not to play him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I was pleased with the lineup. I think when we talked about it, we we had thought that um, we had thought that Fabian Delph would return, and and I'm you know I, I was excited to see that because giving he was he's more of a uh, you know it gives Allen a little bit more freedom, I guess there, and and he is you know when he's on, he provides I think a little bit more of a structure and a control and a calmness over that midfield. Um, so I was happy to see him included. Um, you know, again, happy to see Michael Anko included again. I think he's, he's deserves um, to con- his continued inclusion and just, you know, I, I think the lineup, not really much to, you know, argue about there. I think that's about the best lineup that we could put out there again, you know, um, Decore makes the bench and gray makes the bench um, instead of starting. But other than that, um, you know, I think that that's about what you would expect for this matchup. And really it was, um, you know, it was a hard fought match. It was, it was a gritty match. It was, you know, it, it, it was something we're not, I guess, used to seeing from Everton recently. Uh, I was just, you know, very, uh, you know, dig in and, and get stuck in and, um, you know, get things done and, you know, their effort pays off with Gordon scoring early, um, you know, in the 27th minute. And then, you know, it's not like Everton didn't have chances in this match. This match, they did do a fantastic job defensively in the second half. I think Man United up until the 85th minute or something like that had no shots on goal through the, uh, the second half. 
Um, but your guys' thoughts, Brian, we'll start with you. Your guys' thoughts, I mean, there's not really much to talk about in this match. There was the one goal, and um, I think everything else was pretty standard, if I remember correctly. I don't, and if you guys can remember anything that was major, please point it out. But, um, you know, I, anything, your thoughts on just the way this match played out and, you know, a, I guess, atypical performance from Everton of recent in terms of defensive structure and management. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, first off, I think Jordan Pickford deserves a lot of credit. He made a couple early saves that, that, you know, did not put us behind that probably would have been, frankly, it's, they would have been in the probably, I think 10th or 15th minute and they probably still would have probably put the game to bed because just self-belief at that point would have been, you know, I'm sure the crowd would have been behind us, but let's say best case scenario, we would have dug out a point. Um, but to be fair to Hay also played well. Um, he made a save, I think, about the 36 minute or so on Richarlison. There's that little deflection, and he kind of made that backwards, uh, kind of backwards dive and push save that that's very difficult to make, and uh, made a couple other little um, little stops and things that, um, you know, like you said, it wasn't a, a lot of business being done within the boxes. Um, but to credit our goal, Awobi drives into the space as an attacking midfielder and gets forward and he's the one that's there to hold that ball up and lay it off to, uh, to Gordon for his deflected shot. Um, so kind of seeing that rotation, you know, Gordon coming in, a forward getting into the corner, getting a midfielder into the attack. Um, that's the kind of balance that we haven't always seen. A lot of the times that ball just, if Calvert Lewin would have been gone, you know, saying the Burnley game, we would not have had a midfielder to get into that space. So being able to get that midfielder up, actually be there when the ball comes in and lay it off to a winger coming inside. You know, those are, those are difficult shots. And what we saw is exactly why they're difficult shots, because as you defend them, they're coming in at an angle. You're not getting a straight block on the ball. You know, you're getting a hip into it. You're getting a, you know, a thigh into it. You're going to tow it down and and drop it for um, the attacker. And um, you know, those are the, the breaks that, that, (laughs) that you don't often see. Um, And I think, just to make mention of something you said earlier, you know, us having eight wins and being in the relegation battle, Crystal Palace has eight wins and they're on in 10th place. So it's um, these very fine margins. And mm-hmm. so to get the deflection and then turn around and have Pickford make the saves. And then a couple of saves that he made, especially late, I think when, like you mentioned, when they started to get a few shots on goal towards the end there, um, yeah. he made a couple of saves that kept, that didn't give up a rebound that were really difficult, you know, things that just kind of, you know, hey, and they clapped. There was a shot from Pogba that dropped right in front of him that he was yes. able to smother, and there was somebody right there, and if it would have come off him at all, it would have been a tap-home goal. And those, 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 like going back to those fine margins that make it, you know, a win versus a tie versus a, a loss that um, if we can correct those for two or three matches, I think we'll be okay. Yeah, and, and just the, uh, the big one, I think, which I forgot to mention, is, is the save off the deflection at the very end of the game. It was a deflection, I think, off Keane, who it deflected and it almost it would have went in the net, but good reactionary save from um, from Pickford that that led um, to keeping the clean sheet. Jeff, your thoughts on the performance and um, you know everything overall. So I was just going to pick up uh, as you've just mentioned it that um, deflection off Keane. Um, the, there's a, another. So there was, I think we got some of the luck that's deserted us in previous games in this game. Uh, obviously, the the deflection from Gordon, but you, you'd have to say, why don't we shoot more often from outside the box? Because you know the the chances are you will get deflected shots, and they all count. 
But that, but that um, keen deflection into the arms of uh, Pickford and Ronaldo was uh, shouting as ever for a, a penalty for a handball. I, I think that was an element of luck as well that uh, actually went for us this this time. Uh, I half expected the VAR decision to to go back and overrule that. It's just the the way you become as an Evertonian. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I thought the spirit that we showed in the game in the game was great. Um, I thought um, afterwards, uh, Mikalenko, who I was unconvinced by when we first signed him, to be perfectly honest with you, mm-hmm. uh, showed the kind of spirit. Uh, it's a buccaneering type of spirit uh, down that left flank there. Um, I, I think um, I, I, I was. So sort of, I was delighted by his comment afterwards, and somebody on Twitter, I think, said to him, um, you're, you're a superstar. And he went, no, I'm not a superstar, I'm a soldier. And, and you know, given his, his home situation as, as well, I thought that sort of typifies the, the humbleness of the guy. Um, but, you know, there were other really good performances. Pickford, as Brian says, I thought was out of this world at, at times. Delph steadied the ship. Alan looked good, driving a bit further forward. And Awobi, the, there's a, I think it's probably about a 20-second sequence of him running around the, the, the pitch, trying to close United down. And I think he started off more or less in our uh, left-back position, if you like, charged right over to the right wing, charged, didn't get the ball, charged right across the front line, ended up back where he was. He must have run, I think it was highlighted, about uh, 200 yards in total before he actually stopped running. And the fans like that, you know, I've been to Goodison many times and that sort of really revs the fans up. You know, it's almost back to the days of uh, Peter Reid, who I was fortunate enough to see where, where they go chasing lost causes. Sometimes they don't win them. But that effort that uh, the team showed as a whole against United, I thought won us the game and deservedly so. And I'd love to see more of it. I, I just hope it's not against the big teams that we do that. It's against, you know, the, the other teams that are coming up, yeah. Brentford, Crystal Palace. That's where we want to see it. Leicester as well. We, we want to see it against them. Not just these big, big results that nobody expects. I mean, hey, listen, I'll take whatever I can get at this point. So if we're beating the big teams first so we can get out of the relegation zone by that point, I'll take it. But I totally understand what you're saying because it does seem that we always do seem to show up for these big matches, always seem to show up for the big teams, Manchester uh, City as well, um, at Goodison. Um, but then when it comes to the Burnleys or the, you know, any away match at this point, um, you know, it's, it's been, uh, you know, less so, less, um, you know, we haven't shown that grit, that ability to dig in. And, um, you know, it's, it was definitely, you know, a really good performance. Like you guys have mentioned really all the big factors that, uh, you know, I think Fabian Delph just in the middle control and calmness really helped. I think Awobi was fantastic. Again, I think Michaelenko was fantastic. I think um, Pickford was fantastic. And then just overall, I think a great team performance in this one. Um, you know, there's not, you know, I think Frank Lampard said it after the match. He had an interview and um, I think this was after the Manchester United match where he talked about the greediness and, and digging in and, and, you know, how fans love that. And that's all you know, the effort and that's what they need to bring. Um, and if Everton can find a way to bring that week in and week out, they have the quality to beat the teams that are in front of them, you know, whether it be, you know, 
listen, I'm not going to go out there and say we're going to beat Chelsea and we're going to beat Liverpool. But the other teams, the Leicesters, the Watfords, the Brentfords, the Crystal Palaces, Everton have the quality to beat them or at least get a result out of those games. And Brian, again, you mentioned it and I've mentioned it, you know, Crystal Palace, Brighton, um, Leeds, um, you know, so many of these teams that are in front of us, Newcastle, Southampton, they all have eight wins and they've all played less game or more games than us. Um, they've just been able to find a way to get draws instead of losses, find a way to keep the draw throughout. You know, it's if Everton could have kept the draw against Manchester City or, you know, there's a host of them that you could point out that it's like if they could have kept those draws or, or kept the game, you know, held on to the game deep into the game, um, the story could be a lot different. And I think what we saw today is more of what we – or what we saw against Manchester United is what we need to see more of these last eight matches. It's eight matches. These are the – these are, you know – Eight matches to determine where we're going to be next season, whether it's going to be in the championship or the Premier League. And that should be motivation enough for these players to go out there and try and put in the best performances they can. Um, again, there's not really much that we really need to hit on, on in this game. I think we've, there, there weren't any major talking points, just the fact really that Everton were able to hold. Um, and I think that the 4-3-3 or whatever the formation that we've gone with these last two games the setup, I think, is probably the setup that we need to continue going with. Um, against Burnley, we've shown that we can score goals. And against Manchester United, we showed that we can um, be good defensively. Richarlison may be less effective because of the fact that he was going up against Juan Pasaka, who is um, one of the better um, outside backs um, in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, I think overall, just a really good performance. And I think, you know, hopefully Frank sticks with this formation because I think this is the formation that's going to... Uh, be successful for us going forward. Um, let's take another quick break here, and then we'll come back and we will preview the match against Leicester, which is happening uh, midweek. All right, we are talking um, Everton versus um, Leicester. This game is going to take place Wednesday, April twentieth, uh, at two forty-five p.m. over here on the East Coast. I think it's a seven forty-five game over there. In England, this is taking place at Goodison Park. Um, a couple things, a couple um, you know factors in this one. Everton have kept just one clean sheet in their last fifteen in their fifteen Premier League home games against Leicester. Um, a zero-zero draw in January nineteen ninety-nine was the only time they've kept a clean sheet. Um, they've gone on to lose just two of those fifteen meetings, however, uh, winning five and drawing eight. Uh, after thirteen of the first eighteen Premier League meetings between Everton. Um, and Leicester finished level. Um, just one of the last 12 between the sides has been drawn, uh, though that draw was in, the, in this exact fixture last season. Leicester haven't lost their first league game in their first league game in any of the last 13 calendar years um, since a 3-1 loss at QPR in 2008. The Fox have won their last four such games, but have never won their opening league game in five consecutive years before. I think this is an old stat that they have on here. Um, Everton have won just uh, one of their last 12 Premier League games um, coming from behind and, well, two now of their last 13. Um, they came behind to beat from behind to beat 
to uh, Arsenal 2-1 in December and then beat Manchester United, obviously 1-0. Um, and then um, Everton have conceded 13 goals in their last five Premier League home games, two more than they had in their previous 11 at Goodison Park. Um, so obviously the defensive issues still a uh, major issue. Um, the lineups for this one could be interesting. It looks like Donny van de Beek will be back. Um, it looks like he will be ready. Of course, we don't have any confirmation of that because um, we won't, the, the, the Frank Lampard's press conference has not happened yet. It won't happen on Tuesday. Um, Yerry Mina is back in full training as of today, I believe. So that is another addition that could be there. Um, we do have Fabian Delph, which is, you know, a great thing. We didn't bring this up. I don't think we talked about this. I think this happened after the Burnley match uh, or before the Burnley match, but after we talked about Burnley, Nathan Patterson out for the remainder of the season with the ankle injury, had to have surgery on it. So unfortunately will be unavailable for the rest of the season and really unfortunate for him because he was set, I believe, to play in that Burnley match um, and start in that Burnley match. So um, disapp certainly disappointing for him. He will not be available, but I think everybody else will um, that I can think of off the top of my head that could be important to this uh, match. Of course, there's still four days until this match happens or five days, whatever. But with the information that we have now, with the possibility of Yaramina coming back, with the, poss with the possibility of Donny Van de Beek coming back, um, with what we know, Brian, we'll start with you. What do you think the lineup is going to be on Wednesday? Yeah, um, it'll be nice to have uh, the, the choice back. Um, I would go, obviously, Pickford and goal. Uh, Mina at center back, if he's healthy, is a, just an absolute starter lock-in for me. Godfrey at center back. I'd keep Coleman at right back. Um, Mikulenko at left back, start to get perhaps a little bit of consistency. Um, and then uh, in the midfield, Allen has to be in there. Um, I'd like – this is where it's going to get tough because I think we also need DeCore in there um, to run. Uh, I don't see us having enough possession to be able to pull off a Wobi and Van de Beek and Allen. I think that would maybe stretch us a little bit uh, too much in the midfield. So I personally would like to see Decore. Um, and then perhaps, I mean, it's been a long, long break, but perhaps you rotate in uh, a Van de Beek. Um, but I also maybe put Richarlison up top um against Leicester center backs and give Calvert Lewin a break and, and put a Wobi out wide. Uh so I'm I'm a little torn to be honest with you. Uh, I don't have you know it's nice to have uh kind of like you said having everybody back. Um but if you if you made me choose I'd put with Charles on the top and a Wobi out wide and and play with Decore and Van de Beek and um Allen in the midfield and then put uh Gordon on the right. Uh, Jeff, how about you? Your thoughts on what you think the lineup will be? Hey, Jeff, I don't think I, I, you might be on mute or something there. <laughs> Schoolboy error, sorry. <laughs> no um, worries. Yeah, so uh, I'd have uh, Pickford in goal. I'd have Coleman. Um, as a surprise, um, I'd actually have uh, Michael Keane in alongside Yari Mina because. Keen alongside Mina is a different kettle of fish altogether. I think he's a much better player having someone strong alongside him and someone 
with uh, good decision making as Mina has. So we'd have Coleman, Yeri Mina, Michael Keane and Mikalenko at the back, which means unfortunately I'd give Godfrey a rest. Uh, I'd have the side more or less the same as it was um, other than that, so uh, against Manchester United. So I would have uh, Delph sitting deep. I'd have Allen and Wobi um, as uh, central midfielders, Gordon and Richarlison wide, and Calvert-Lewin up top. And I, I persist with Calvert-Lewin. He's not having a good time of it. Um, but sooner or later, you've got to think he, he, he possibly needs just one badly deflected goal for it to go in off his shoulder or his backside or something like that that, that will give him the confidence to, to then go on and play like the, the Calvert-Lewin that, that we know. I would resist the temptation of bringing uh, Donny van der Beek back in uh, right now. Um, I think he's a, a good option off the bench for the next game. Um, he hasn't played for a few games now uh, through injury, suspension, ineligibility. Um, so uh, I think uh, to have him there and willing to come on is a good thing. I think longer term, um, uh, Van der Beek in that co- that kind of lineup might look more for the uh, Awobi position to play more attacking midfield, which is where he made his name really um, for for Ajax. Um, so I, I would like to see him get a chance there at some point, mm-hmm. which again raises the the question mark over the longer term future of Dele Alley because that you'd have to say that's nailed on as his best position, but he's not getting a chance. And I wouldn't give him a chance in in, in this game. Um, so so more or less the same. Basically, the introduction of uh, Michael Keane of Yari Mina for Ben Godfrey, uh, and maybe a little shuffle in formation, but the same personnel other than that. Can I uh, can I ask you something, Jeff? Yep. Doesn't uh, does Michael Keane's sheer delight at carrying the ball into the midfield with no obvious answers. Doesn't that worry you a bit against the counterattacking a team? Like and, and on that, I don't I don't have any I don't have any real qualms, but just for me that was I, I, I feel I, I agree with you. I think that Keen plays much better when he has a, a presence like Mena to kind of tell him where to go. I just also I, think I, that Godfrey think... Godfrey feels the same way and, and I trust maybe Mina being our kind of ball carrying center back and then Godfrey there to cover for the mistakes than I do Keane carrying and Mina. So I was just kind of curious. Have, have you noticed that tendency in Keane? Because I've, you know, I've, I've, I've seen a few goals that we've conceded. I've seen <laughs> goals we've conceded where I was being nice about it. So I didn't know. It's how done, it's done just that. Uh, and, uh, it, it's almost like uh, there should be a no entry zone into the opposition half for, for Michael Keane when he's got the ball at his feet. Um, but, but having said that, on his day, and, and he's like a different person. I don't know what it is, uh, but he's like a different person with Mina alongside him. Mm. I, I do agree. I'd, I'd much rather have uh, you know Godfrey at full steam, uh, carrying the ball, even if he's not the, the most skillful player in the world. Will barge people through like his, uh, it's almost like his rugby playing dad. Um, you know, he, he will absolutely um, make mincemeat out of anyone trying to stop him in those, those regards. But actually, Keane is a liability when he, he does that. I just think defensive solidity and uh, at set pieces and things like that, Keane helps. He, he, you know, he, he still gets caught out. And I'm not, as you know, I'm not his greatest fan, but given where we are, 
I, I, I just think there's a bit more solidity there. I think if Leicester, I think Vardy, is Vardy out for the season? Um, I'm not too sure, but I think if there was real pace amongst Leicester's attack, then I'd, I'd maybe go along with you there and have uh, Godfrey in there for his recovery pace. Well, isn't um, is it Daka or Iannaccio who's been taking over that that striker? I think it's Iannaccio. I think. Yeah, I don't know. That my thing is, I I don't know. I guess like having Keane and Mina next to each other with their lack of pace always worries me, no matter what game we're playing. Um, but you know, in Burnley, that would have been great because they don't really have any pace up front. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like I would probably go with Godfrey instead if we're putting him alongside Mina. But I, I mean, I guess it could go either way. I just I like the fact that we have at least one pacier center back um, alongside Mina, just because of how slow and cumbersome he can be. Um, but um, other than that, I think I agree completely. I, you know, I would like to see Donny Van de Beek in that role where Awobi is, um, but of course, being with how long he's had out, um, I think you probably have to sit him um, to start the match and then bring him in maybe at halftime, depending on what the situation is. Um, but other than that, I think it should be basically exactly the same as was against Manchester United. I like Delph. You know, if he can continue to stay fit, I think he gives Allen a little bit more freedom to be that first line of defense and in terms of very similar to the way Ganagay did it um, and just kind of be uh, pressuring the ball and pressuring the the midfield while Delph kind of sits back and plays like a calm uh, position right in front of that back line. Um, and then, you know, if we're not playing Van de Beek, Awobi definitely deserves the opportunity to start. He's obviously earned it. Um, Gordon should continue to start. And I, you know, I, I, you know, again, like you said, I, I think, you probably want to stick with Dominic Calvert-Lewin. It's hard to take him out. But if you were to play Donny van de Beek, like Brian said, I guess you'd probably have to take Calvert-Lewin out and switch with Charleston. I, I, I find it hard to take out a Wobi, especially with his ability to get back and how, how hard he works on the pitch. So um, what problems do Leicester pose Everton this weekend uh, or, the, or this coming week? Um, what, what do you expect to be an issue for Everton uh, as they face this Leicester side? Jeff, we'll start with you. I think that they've got a variety of people who can conjure up a goal. Um, and, you know, you look at the likes of uh, Telemans, um, you know, that these guys can hit shots from outside the box, which um, usually find the target. I think we're going to have to need um, Pickford to have a similar game that he had for United, and in fact, for every game for the rest of the season, really. Um, but I, I think they have a variety of ways to hurt you. Um, uh, thankfully, they haven't got the pace of Vardy because that, that would dictate how you lined up, I, I think. You certainly wouldn't play a high line against the likes of Vardy. Um, but you know that you've got Madison as well, who's a very skillful player. You've got lots of people that can hurt you from free kicks. Um, so let's try not to give them away in dangerous positions. Um, but I, I, I've seen that happen so many times this season, unfortunately, where you know it's right on the edge of the box and it's just set up for a, a dead ball specialist. So that, that worries me a bit, but I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful at the moment. 
Brian, how about you? Your thoughts on what, what problems Leicester could, put, could pose us? Um, being a good soccer team. Uh, <laughs> um, no, nah, but, but they are, they're, they're, they're so well balanced now that Fafana's back and playing at full speed. He's, he's a true legitimate top tier center back for me, put him alongside somebody like Johnny Evans. And we were just talking about the balance that we're looking for at center back. Um, and you become jealous of what they've got. Um, you know, Ricardo Pereira's back, Estania playing left back. Um, Dewsbury Hall has come on as a, a, a very good soccer player this year and has really um, started to impart himself on the game. And then the ability to change looks, um, you know, you have somebody like Lookman who can come on. And so, of course, because he used to be an Everton player, um, I'm expecting him to score probably like three goals and have like... Oh, the game winner, the game goals. winner for sure. Yeah, yeah, probably just to the game of his career and then we'll buy him back <laughs> for $75 million and then we'll sell it. Anyway, um, no, but... You know, and then people like Harvey Barnes, who's, you know, a, a very composed, solid finisher that when given chances, um, you know, but he's been in that rotation. So uh, just they're a very well-balanced team. Um, and, and so they compose you difficulties through each of their lines uh, from the back to the midfield and through the front. Daka and Iacho are, are quality strikers who – and they have momentum. You know, they're in the, you know, call the Europa Conference League, which you'd like. Um, they're into the semifinals now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's an opportunity to win things. And when that's going on in your team, it offers incentive for competition, even though they seem to be out of Europe um, for this season. That just kind of picks the squad up and everybody's playing for those moments. They want to be in the stadium. They want to play in front of the fans when, you know, and be on the field when the when uh, the trophy's handed out. And uh, so I think they have that, that going for them a little bit after beating the quality PSV team um, this past week. Um, but they do have Newcastle before they have us. So I anticipate that they're going to be a little bit more um, in some some type of rotation, and I hope we catch them in a rotation where maybe they're experimenting more. Um, would be my my hope. Yeah, I mean, you bring that up. That's a that's really an extremely important point. Being they played Sunday, um, then they played again yesterday, Thursday. They'll play again on Sunday against um, Newcastle, and then they'll play us again on Wednesday. Um, and then they have to play – like, their schedule is packed. Because after that – because we do also play them twice now within the next couple of weeks. Um, after they play us, they play Aston Villa on Saturday, Roma on Thursday, then Tottenham on – I guess that's the that, – that's actually Saturday as well, as of right now at least. Um, and then they play Roma again on May 5th, and then they play us again the weekend after that. So, I mean, they're in a very – they're going to have a lot of games here coming up. And, and like you said, at least this one right here, there should be, being that we've had 10 days off now and or however many it would have been by the time that we get to this point, and they'll have played three games in that span that we haven't, you know, that we haven't been playing or two games. Um, there should be no reason that Everton don't come out the more energetic side and don't finish the game the more energetic side, especially at home. This should be a game where we are able to take advantage of the tiredness of the opponent and, and really, you know, do our best to, to take advantage of whatever they have um, or they put out there. Um, so, uh, you know, I, again, it's, they do have a very talented team, but hopefully Everton do catch them in the bit of a rotation and maybe we can grab some points here. These are, you know, obviously – very important points. Um, you know, I think a win here at home against 
Leicester and then maybe a tie against Chelsea would be very big points going into that massive three-game stretch where we play Watford, Crystal Palace, and Brentford, which very well could determine our season. Um, So we'll see how that plays out. Before we wrap it up, anything else and do predictions, anything else you guys want to mention on Leicester in this match? All right, uh, let's do predictions. Brian, we'll start with you, your, your prediction for this one. You know I'm an eternal optimist, you know. <laughs> eternal. Um, so you got to win? No, I think we're going to tie. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm gonna, I can't be that much. I'm an optimist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I got you. I'm still somewhat of a realist. Um, um, yeah. I, I just, I, I see a 1-1 result. Um, I, do I think our crowd can pull us through? Absolutely. If, if we can find the right moments, I, I genuinely do. Um, but the reality is we're just not playing. We're not, you know, we're, we might scratch out a result, but we're not playing great soccer still. You know, we, we got a result, but we didn't play great against Man U. We didn't create, you know, we, we won. And that's the highlight. And that's all we need. Um, and I just think that's a little bit tougher against a team that has some momentum and is feeling good about themselves. So um, I could see us, you know, falling behind to something uh, in the first half and, and coming back into it with a one, one and picking up a point that it wouldn't be ideal, but I, it's hard to say, like you've already mentioned if Burnley's really big on tie and that means that draws for us are, uh, can, can be important. So that's how optimistic I'll be. One, Jeff, one. how about you? Uh, two, one Everson. Um, I, I think I'd even go further than to predict a, Another Richarlison penalty. Uh, amongst all of that, I think penalties seem to come like we have an expression over here. They come like buses. So, so you'll uh, get, uh, you know, you won't see one for ages, and then you'll get three in a row. Um, <laughs> so, I, I, I can, I can see us, uh, you know, getting a, a, a three points. There. I, I, I do think it's a, it's a midweek game, isn't it? It's a, a Wednesday. Um, under, though it will be the, the lights are getting the nights are getting lighter here, um, but there's nothing quite like Goodison under the lights uh, with the, the crowd behind the team. Um, I'm hoping they will do that. In a way, it's a bit of a pity with that. Is it ten day break or whatever it will have been? Yeah. Um, because the, there's nothing like going again when you when you've won and you you carry that uh, winning feeling through with you. Ten days can be a bit of a an issue to to keep that momentum up. Gives you the opportunity to get a few more players like me in a fit. But you know, um, I I I I don't think it's just hopefulness. I I, I think two uh, one to Evan. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of in between. I'm kind of you know I've been really optimistic on the podcast before already this season, and it hasn't worked out. So I think I'm going to be less optimistic. And say draw as well, because I I also think you know there's there could be there could be a point where we can win there there could be a way we can win this match and then um, that would be absolutely huge for us especially de- depending on what happens in Burnley and and other matches um, but I'm going to go with the draw I'm going to say uh, you know I'm going to say I'll say one one as well um, I'll say one one as well I think Everton get a much needed point. They need at least a point out of this one, you know, going out through here, you know, the rest of the season, at least a point is really basically what we need from every game. That isn't, you know, the big six, I guess you could say, but you know, this is going to be a really important one. And 
um, hopefully Everton can pull it out. All right. I think that's, um, I think that's all I, all we got today. Um, Brian, thank you as always for joining us. We appreciate it. Of course. Thank you, Gino. Always uh, enjoy my time here. Uh, yes. And we love having you on and Jeff, same to you. We appreciate you coming on and taking some time to talk to us. Thank you, Gino. Thank you, Brian. Yep. And to you guys out there, thank you for listening and continuing to download the episodes. And we hope that you continue to do that, continue to listen, continue to, uh, you know, help us out here and uh, listen to what we have to say, whether it's, you know, right or not. (laughs) Hopefully we have some more optimistic things to talk about in the future. But for now, that's it. And we'll talk to you guys next time.